0: Now, if you have the little Bibles that we made available before we started the series, you want to underline that. That's an important point to make right there. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, now we live with great expectation, and we have a priceless inheritance. Inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive the salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There's wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than gold. Now, understand what we're reading here. Paul is writing to the church who's going through lots of suffering, and he's saying, You can have joy in this. I mean, this is an emphatic, there's joy, and the reason is you've been born again. That's, that's an important point to remember. So, when your faith brings strong, so that when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him, even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him, and you rejoice with a glorious inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. The salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterwards. They were told that the me- their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is all so wonderful, and this is one of the most precious verses in the Bible to me. Even the angels, even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. So prepare your minds for action, exercise self control. And put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. Before I speak about preparing for action and exercising self-control, I want to talk to you about what Peter is writing to this church on your hope, the blessing of hope. Father, in the precious name of Jesus, I'm asking you in the next few minutes that you will speak to each of us Stir into flame again the reason that we have hope, the reason, Lord, that our hope helps us to endure, that hope is the difference between success and defeat, Lord, success and giving up. And I pray that God, like these early Christians, even though we have not suffered the way they have suffered— that we will be faithful, Lord, and full of joy and filled with hope because we've been born again. For it's in Christ's name I ask. And everybody said, "Amen." amen. God bless you. You can be seated. I have heard it said, you have heard it said, that people can live 40 days without food. They can live four days without water. They can live four minutes without air. But I would postulate to you tonight, we can't live... Four seconds without hope. When hope is gone, life seems to have lost its luster. Life seems to have lost its meaning. There's been study after study why so many men, so many white men in particular, between the ages of 25 and 45 are committing suicide. One of the common denominators they're finding out is the loss of hope. When people give up hope, They give up, they lose their reason for living. And tonight as we look at this passage of Scripture, I think it's important that you and I understand we live for the future in light of the future. We live for the future in light of the future. That's our hope. We can prepare for the future. If you'll put that first point up there so everybody can fill it in. We live for the future in light of the future because we know we have a hope. It's been demonstrated that college kids who are hopeful get higher GPAs. It's been demonstrated that college athletes perform better on the field. And one study of the elderly in geriatric studies, those who had hope were, long, were likely to live longer than those who had given up hope and were more likely to become centenarians. You see, we live for the future in light of the future because the gospel changes everything. Once you've heard the gospel, once you've heard that God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son so that if you believed in him, you might be saved, that changes your perspective on every problem. It changes your perspective on creation. It changes your perspective on life and death we are shaped by our future hope. As long as we have a hope for the future, we're shaped by that. We're living for that hope. We're living for the anticipation of the fulfillment of that hope. Recently, somebody said to me, he said, Pastor, why are you so against retirement? I said, I'm not against retirement at all. I think everybody who wants to retire, they should feel free to retire. But For those of us who have hope, for those of us have a calling, for those of us who believe there's a reason for what we do, I can't think of any greater punishment than to spend my life on a golf course or playing shuffleboard, and I don't like shuffleboard, or trying to cruise around and find some purpose and meaning to life. As long as you have hope, it causes you to reach and to stretch forward to the future, because what I believe and you believe about the future shapes how we're living right now. In verse 3, he says, it is by his great mercy we have been born again. Now, I admit to you that in our culture, the phrase born again has lost its biblical meaning. In our culture, the phrase born-again tends to be associated with political movements, it tends to be associated with very conservative Christians, it tends to be associated with fundamentalism, and by the way, I'm a conservative Christian, I'm a fundamentalist, I believe in the fundamentals of the Bible. Uh, Once years ago, I was asked, you know, how do you define yourself? I said, well… I'm a Baptist and that I believe that people ought to be baptized. I'm a Pentecostal and that I believe that you can pray in the tongues. I'm 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 a Presbyterian because I believe that we're going to persevere. And I just kept going down through every major denomination, and they said, oh, well then you are a theological hegemon. And I go, whatever that means, that's what I am, you know? I just believe what the Bible says, don't you? And so we can't just associate this with fundamentalism or conservatism, we can't just associate born-again with a political movement, because here's how I want to illustrate this. I, I have thought long and hard about this because, Becky will tell you, for years I wouldn't even preach on the subject because it had become such a political hot potato. And so I studied and I lived with John chapter 3, and I finally came to the conclusion, studying where Jesus first said this, he said it to Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin. Nicodemus, by being a member of the Sanhedrin, was not only highly educated, Nicodemus was wealthy. Nicodemus was a man that uh, had connections. Nicodemus was a man that was politically connected. Nicodemus was a man who had the respect not only of, of the Jewish people, but had the respect of the Romans because of being a member of the Sanhedrin. Nicodemus had such respect that he came to this young, upstart preacher by night, because he didn't want anybody to see him talking to him. He came to this young, upstart teacher named Jesus, who didn't have the education, did not have the wealth, did not have the political connections, did not have the influence that Nicodemus had, and he says, Rabbi, teach me. Rabbi, I need to understand. And Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again yeah it's amazing to me that Jesus didn't say to Nicodemus Nicodemus you know you're almost there you're a conservative Nicodemus you're almost there you're religious Nicodemus God has blessed you with health Nicodemus you're you're like the paragon of human excellence all you really need to do now is confess me as Lord and, and you're going to have it you're going to be all put together but Jesus says to Nicodemus what he says to every one of you and I tonight and that is you've got to be born again. Because if you're not born again, you're not a Christian. The world may label you as a Christian. The world may say, hey, you're a good guy. And listen, Christians are good people, but good people aren't necessarily Christians. Let me say that again. Christians are good people, but Good people aren't necessarily Christians because the Bible says you've got to be born again. It just doesn't mean that we have some traumatic experience, and it doesn't mean that all of a sudden we're just running over with moral goodness, and it also doesn't mean that somehow or another we become more religious. What it means is we have a brand new DNA. God has come into our life, and the DNA of the Holy Spirit, the DNA of God himself comes inside of us. And all of a sudden, if I can use a word that's become very popular, it's an organic thing. We are in the Spirit. The Spirit is in us. It's like Jesus prayed. I pray that you may be in them and that they may be in us even as you are in me. God's nature is within us. Can we give him a hand of praise for that tonight? The nature of God really means that he's there. Now, let me see if I can illustrate this another way. When we look at biological life on this planet, we know there are plants. Let's just use plants and animals for a second. We know that there are plants. We know that plants can sense their environment. There are some studies that say plants can sense when another plant has been cut. There's some study, and I don't know about all that, but I'm just telling you what the studies say. There's some plants that say that music has an effect upon plants, but these two things I do know. Plants can sense in their environment heat and cold. I also know this, plants can sense light and darkness, okay? They can't sense that they need to get away from a predator. However, you take an animal. An animal has the sense not only to understand its environment like the plant does, but it has the sense to either escape from a predator or to prey upon the prey. And when we watch a lion or a tiger on the nature channel kill a deer or kill a fawn or a gazelle, we may feel bad for the little gazelle, but we understand that's the nature of the lion or the nature of the tiger that he's going to kill prey and eat that prey. So we don't go out and shoot the lion for having killed another animal. But with human beings, because we're created in the image of God in our environment, we have the sense of reason about us, we're able to reason. And by reasoning, we're able to say, this is good and that is evil. And when we're able to say, this is good and that is evil, we're able to say, stealing is wrong. Our murder is wrong. You see, it's not just a matter of being plant, animal, and human. You must be born again. You can't change the nature of the plant. You can't change the nature of the animal, and you can't, and I can't change the nature of a human being. Only God can change them. Only God can change them. And that's why this doctrine of born again is so critical and why it has so much to do with hope. Now, the Christian ethic just simply says to you and I this evening, the Christian ethic just simply says, we can't have Ethics without the Scriptures, because ethics are constantly changing. People say to me, well, human beings are reasonable. I've lived 64 years now. I'm not so sure I believe that anymore. Human beings can't get together and reason out on whether or not abortion is right or wrong. We can't get together and reason out on whether when a baby's heartbeat is beating, that that's a viable human being. We can't get together and decide that when a baby is born and survives an abortion and it's living, that still it must be killed because... There are these disagreements. We can't agree on such things as foreign affairs and foreign relations. And need I just point to the political movements that are taking place right now and how that all of a sudden, who would have ever thought of the United States of America, we would be talking about socialism as an acceptable way of government. So I've begun to question, are human beings really as reasonable as we think we are? I recently sat down, and I just spent a whole afternoon. I went from one cable news channel to another cable news channel. I watched the, the liberals on MSNBC. I watched those that are supposed to be middle of the road on CNN, and then I watched Fox News. And as I'm listening, I've, all of a sudden I'm beginning to go, none of these people agree with each other. Because every television station and every talk show is an ethical reflection, not of reason, but of the consensus of the people that are listening to them. Let me say that again. Every single talk show that I listen to, when you do the research on who their listening audience is, it's not a matter of reason. It is a consensus of the people who are listening to them. So we can say all we want to if we dig deep enough, if we work hard enough, if we discipline ourselves enough, then we're capable of making a better world. That's what I heard them say on a television show called The View, that we're able to do this. And then that very day, I read of how, again, here in Detroit, a child is murdered because of a drug land gang shooting. Don't tell me that if we dig deep enough, work hard enough, human beings are becoming more reasonable. Sin has a degrading effect upon people's lives. And friends, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. We must continue to preach and teach and explain what Jesus meant by being born again. We are not a political movement. We understand that our ethics come from the word of the Lord. So if I was to ask myself, how do we build consensus? If I was to ask myself that question, then I have to say, I don't know that we can ever build consensus until first we agree on what an ethic is. Which leads me then to something I want to share with you. We have to tolerate alternative viewpoints. We have to tolerate them, but it doesn't mean that we compromise our foundation. You see, our Constitution and even the scriptures give us support for this biblically. We tolerate other viewpoints. We are not a theocracy like Israel was. But we tolerate other viewpoints, but we don't compromise our foundation. So Paul is writing to these, are are you tracking with me? Paul is writing to these Christians who are suffering at the hands of Jews and Romans alike, and he says, look, you can't compromise your foundation. Your faith is being tried like gold in a fire. Fire doesn't destroy gold. Fire just makes gold purer. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 23 says, You must, of course, continue on a firm and sure foundation and must not allow yourself to be shaken from the hope you gained when you heard the gospel. The hope we gained comes from the Word of God. It comes from the good news about Jesus Christ. And so when I'm talking to my friends who aren't Christians and they inquire about my hope, i have no choice but to take them to the scripture i have no choice but to share with them about jesus and then there are times when people have said to me "It says oh if i could only believe that you can believe it you just have to put your hope in god and that's the whole point of peter connecting the suffering with the hope and so all of what we read just now It comes from the very fact that we continue in the hope. Our hope is rooted in the justice of God. Our hope is rooted in the justice of God. Now, I have to be honest with you. As a young Christian, the justice of God terrified me. I shared with you before about the the background that I came out of and, and, and the legalism that I came out of and what I grew up hearing. I was just always afraid that I was going to fail God and end up in hell. I just said hail like a southerner, didn't I? I Just end up in hell. (laughs) It still comes through, doesn't it? (laughs) It's bad when you can hear your own self do that. But I've come to love God's justice. I've come to love, and as I look at the justice of God, and as I've read through the Old Testament, and I see how the people of the Old Testament, they cried out for justice. They wanted justice because they knew what it meant to be persecuted. They knew what it meant to suffer. David knew what it meant to, to be hunted down. And so when you read about the early Christians, they too longed for justice because they were being treated unjustly. But because my hope is rooted in justice I need to also take light of the fact that one day I'm going to give, as a born-again Christian, I'm going to give an accounting for how I've lived my life on this earth. Not that I'm going to be saved by the works I've done, but I'm going to give an accounting. And I must be honest with you, the older I get, the more real that becomes to me, the more poignant that becomes to me. Remember that the heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. Now, he's not talking about salvation right there. He's talking about the judgment that you and I will experience when we're judged for our works as Christians. We're saved. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as, say it with me, temporary residence. Say it again. Temporary residence. Listen. Listen. My hope for my father, Becky's father, our grandparents, Our hope for them is rooted in the justice of God, that Jesus took upon himself their sins and satisfied what no blood of no human or no animal sacrifice could ever do. Jesus satisfied the justice of God in that. But we also know that one day there will come a day when we will be saved not only by his blood, but our works will be tried, and they will either survive as gold and silver and precious stones or they will perish like straw in the fire. And that's part of what it means to be born again and to have hope that every good thing you do in the name of Jesus, for the glory of Jesus and serving somebody else, that is God being glorified, and you will be rewarded for that whether it's a cup of cool water like Jesus said, or whether it's giving your tithes and offerings, or whether it's, as I shared Sunday morning, I see the work of the Spirit in our congregation when I see people serving one another, helping one another, teaching our children, praying in these Whatever you do in the name of Jesus. But Christians who live for their own pleasure, which is what a lot of retirement is all about, that I've earned this, a popular bumper sticker, which you know I don't have a problem with if you have it, so don't take this personally, but I'm spending my kids' inheritance. I don't have a problem with that, but if what you're living for is personal pleasure, that somehow or another you've worked 40 years or 50 years, and you're going to spend the last years of your life, you're going to spend the last years of your life seeking and pursuing pleasure, you have misunderstood why God is giving you those additional years to live. And so our hope is rooted not just in the judgment that will come upon the world as we study through Revelation, but our hope is in the justice of God. The third thing tonight is our hope is in the joy of our final salvation. Our hope is in the joy of our final salvation. Pastor, what do you mean by our final salvation? Well, I, I've shared what one of my Bible college professors, Robert Elliott, shared with us in a theology class talking about salvation. He said, it's important to understand that salvation is past, present, and future. You were saved from your sin. You are being saved today from the power of sin, and you will be ultimately saved when Jesus Christ comes again. You see, there's more to come. If you think life is good in America, you wait till we get to heaven. If you think life is sweet now, you wait till we get to heaven. You wait until we see Jesus. You wait until we are there with him. So Peter writes to them. He says, so be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire, tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than gold. Now would you stop right there? Your faith is far more precious than gold. How many wars have been fought over gold? How many people have given up their reputations for gold? And yet, in God's eyes, your faith in him tonight is far more precious than gold. Look at your neighbor and say, God sees your faith as golden. Jeff, God sees your faith as golden. You ain't got nobody sitting by your butt. Rocky, God sees your faith as golden. Darrell, God sees your faith as golden. It's true. Your faith is more precious than gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, now there's something we've got to look at. Your faith has got to remain strong. Your faith is anchored in hope. Your faith is anchored in the fact that God may not work on your time schedule, but God will work, if not now, in eternity, so that when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Pastor Rick, I have a feeling you're going to get a high five and an attaboy from Jesus. I mean that. Lou, you're going to get a high five. At it. I mean, your faith brings much praise and glory and honor. Think about that. Some of you, you've had the testing and the trials of your faith to name the name of Jesus. You love him even though you've never seen him. Now, see, he's already reminded them that he's seen him. He's reminded this church, I saw him. But he's saying, you know what? I know you've not even seen Him, but you love Him. Though you do not see Him now, you trust Him. And you rejoice with glorious and inexpressible joy. And the reward for trusting Him will be the salvation of your souls. You see, our hope is in the joy of our final salvation. That means I face death confidently. I don't want to die, don't get me wrong, but you and I can face death confidently. Listen to what Andrew Doblanco wrote in a book called The Real American Dream. Hope is the way we overcome the lurking suspicion that all our getting and spending amounts to nothing more than fidgeting while we wait for death. DeBlanco is a philosopher. and he wrote about the American dream, I don't know that all of my spending and accumulation of stuff in this world is what has given me hope, but I can tell you, the people I've loved, the people I've served, the gospel I've preached, the finances that I've given, those things give me great hope. Not for my salvation, but cause me to want to sing often a song that I sang as a little boy. Oh, I want to see him, look upon his face, there to sing forever of his saving grace. On the streets of glory, let me lift my voice. Cares all past, I'm home at last, ever to rejoice. I hope that you're getting a better glimpse of heaven than you've ever had before. And that heaven and your final salvation is what motivates you and pushes you Let me read, this is a little longer quote, but this is from a theologian by the name of Jürgen Moltmann that I have enjoyed reading after over the years. But he said, Christians associated the beginning of their experience of God with an overwhelming new experience. Christian faith isn't just a conviction. It's not just a feeling and a decision. It invades the life so deeply that we have to talk about dying and being born again. When a song or a poem assures us that there's always a spring to follow winter, it sounds comforting, but in actual fact, the precise opposite is true, because in this world, ultimately, transience triumphs over everything. But the experience of the Holy Spirit makes Christ's resurrection present, and this wakens a living hope in God's future. And the moment of rebirth, when you've been born again, the moment of rebirth is the moment in which eternity touches time and puts an end to its transience. A truly new life begins only when this happens. I wish I could write like that. When eternity touches time and puts an end to its transience. Those comforting little things that we say to each other, spring always follows winter. Sometimes it doesn't happen, but when you've been born again, it surely does happen, because eternity lives inside of you, because Christ lives within us, and He is the hope of glory tonight. Can we give Him another hand of praise this evening? Which makes me for just a moment want to look at the nature of hope. If your hope, the nature of hope, if your hope is rooted in Jesus, and he is your greatest treasure, he is your greatest value in life, and if Jesus is your greatest love in life, then you can rejoice even in suffering. And that's the nature of hope is that hope doesn't just cause us to have joy when things are going well. Hope gives us joy when things aren't going well. Eduardo, it was hope that had us praying and standing by Mary Grace's side when there was no hope. And she's continuing to work and to serve as a nurse. You see, hope gives you something to hold on to. This has purpose, this has meaning. If God is allowing this in my life, it has purpose, it has meaning. And as a pastor, and I think I can speak to this somewhat confidently now, having worked with people for over 40 years of my adult life, and having worked in mental health, and having worked in prisons, and having worked in hospitals, I can say this, It's hope that makes people look at crisis differently. Some people look at a financial crisis, and they lose hope, and they go over the cliff. Some people look at a marriage crisis, and they lose hope, and they go over the cliff. Sometimes children look at their parents, and they lose hope, and they go over the cliff. And sometimes churches lose hope because they're looking at a man, or they're looking at a program, or they're looking at the, at, the, at the bottom line on the checkbook. Our hope has never been built in man or upon our children, upon our marriages, upon the, the, the bottom line. Our hope is built upon Jesus and nothing less. That's the nature of hope. You love Him even though you have never seen Him, and though you do not see Him now, you trust Him and you rejoice with glorious and inexpressible, inexpressible joy. What I read when I read that is not that Christians are bubbly people all the time. There was a silly song that I did not like back in the 70s that got very popular in churches. And it was called, It's Bubbling, It's Bubbling, It's Bubbling in My Soul. And I just refused to lead that song or sing that song. Because there are times when it's not appropriate for a Christian to be happy. You see, Christians are the saddest and the happiest people I know. Because we see sin and what it does to people, and it breaks our hearts. And we know lost people matter to God. We see the 10-year-old getting a bullet between its eyes because gang members can't settle their differences. We see an elderly man beaten to death on the sidewalks of our city, all because somebody wanted whatever little bit he had. I could go on with that list of things that breaks our hearts. But at the same time, we're the happiest people I know. Because someone comes to Jesus, eternity touches time, and a new DNA is placed in their soul. And all of a sudden, it's not digging deeper, it's not more discipline, it's not trying harder. Suddenly, suddenly, the DNA of the Holy Spirit begins to work through their life, and we call that holiness. And there's joy. Unspeakable and full of glory. And then the third thing I'd say about it tonight is that hope grows. Hope grows. It increases in our lives. (laughs) New birth always leads to growth. This summer I was looking at my baby sister, Teresa. Teresa. And I say this with fear and trembling because they're supposed to come see us sometimes. And um, if you tell her I told you she was 58, I'm going to say, I don't know how they knew that. They just hacked your Facebook or something. But I'm looking at my baby sister, and I'm remembering when she was born. And all of a sudden, as I'm looking at her across our dining room table, and this is the value of keeping a journal. All of a sudden, looking at her across the dining room table in my mother's house, I remember thinking in the bed one night, when would she get old enough to be fun? (laughs) I remember thinking, how long will it take her to grow up? And now here we are, so much later in life, daddy's in heaven, mother's older, and I'm looking at her, 58 years old, and I'm actually happy. Today a mother told me with pride in her voice, she says, my infant is 15 pounds now. Pastor, can you believe that? He's 15 pounds, and he's growing like a weed. We, we want to see our children grow, don't we? If they're not growing, there's something wrong with them. And we know that DNA determines how much they can grow. We, we know that, that, you know, if your parents were pygmies, you know, from Africa, you're probably not going to get to be very big. But if your parents were large, you're probably going to have the opportunity to grow tall and strong. I've inherited mostly the frame of my mother's side of the family instead of my dad's side of the family. My dad, muscular and strong, and I look at myself and I look at some of my elderly uncles and I go, man, I'm looking more like them. And then people are kind enough to tell me I look like my dad, and that thrills me, but I know what my dad looked like. We want to see people grow. We can't wait for them to grow. But how does it happen? How does that happen? Now, you've got to follow with me closely here, because I'm going to take you back to born again. Babies don't get born because they want to. Babies don't say, oh, I think I'm going to be born on October the 2nd at 8.30 PM, 2019. And then all of a sudden, as a mother, you go, and you look at your husband and you say, my water's broke, it's time to go. No, that's not how it happens. In those days when a baby was born, there was no shots. There was no birthing rooms. There was none of the things. And ladies, please, I'm saying this with compassion. I am not a man. I cannot begin to fathom what you experience. But I'm telling you, there were no hospitals. There were no nurses. There was no tech team standing close by, many women died giving birth in those days. Many women died because suddenly that baby gets born. And Jesus, in a tender way, in John 16, verse 21, he said, It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy, because she has brought a new baby into the world. Jesus is saying tonight, hope grows, because God has brought you into this world. His life has entered you. You didn't choose when you got born again. You didn't decide one day to wake up and seek God. Jesus, but the Holy Spirit of God drew you to him, for no man cometh to the Father of his own, but the Spirit of God draws him, and he drew you to himself. You were convicted of your sins. You were crushed about your sins, and you cried out, what hope is there for me? You were like pilgrim in pilgrim's progress. There was no hope, and then some evangelist came along and shared with you the good news of Jesus, and the new life of God entered you as you Put your faith and hope in Him. The new birth happens because Jesus gave His life. Mothers, you risked your life, but Jesus gave His life so that you and I could be born again. Don't ever, ever let that fact escape you. We are born again, not at the risk of the life of Christ, but because God in Christ gave Himself for us at Calvary. Hmm. You see now why this is so precious to me? And why we have to just dwell on these three admonitions that Peter gives us? The hope that we have is eternal. They were told in 1 Peter chapter 1, and verse 12, they were told their messages were not for themselves but for you. And now this good news is, Has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit from heaven. It's all so wonderful. It's all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. I don't know a lot about angels, just what the Bible tells me, but I know one thing they're very smart, and they're infinitely old. (laughs) And the gospel has never gotten old to them. And they're constantly peering in, what does the gospel mean? When was the last time you sat down and you looked at just what does the gospel mean to me? I ask you Sunday morning in our growth work, I ask you if you would to take time and maybe journal this week and Ask yourself the question, why would Jesus die for me? Those are easy questions to answer from the Scripture, but search them out, why Jesus would die for you. One of my favorite songs from the 70s and 80s was one that the archers sang, it wouldn't be enough to buy one splinter of the tree that Jesus died on. No, I couldn't pay the price for even one single drop of blood that was shed to buy my salvation. That's what redeem means. God brought us back for himself. So if you need a reason for hope tonight, you've been born again. If you need a reason for hope tonight, can I challenge you to kind of do a 360 review? Look back at the past and how God has watched over you. Look around you in the present right now of how God is watching over you. Some of you, you wouldn't be here tonight if it wasn't for the grace of God saving and keeping you. And look out into the future because the God who saved you yesterday and is saving you today, there is a final day coming when your joy will be complete in Christ and we stand with Him face to face in heaven. This week my wife got a text message from somebody that had heard another pastor preach. Listening to that pastor preach, she says, all my hope has been taken from me. All my hope is gone. And so Becky went online and listened to the pastor's message. And she wrote the lady back, and she said, please re-listen to the message, because I didn't hear anything of what you wrote in that message As a matter of fact, I heard all the reasons that you're looking for hope being presented in that message. As a communicator, I know there's six sides to every story. There's what I say, there's what I thought I said, and there's what I really did say. But I also know there's what you said, what you heard, what you thought you heard, and what you really did hear. So would you take these three questions in your growth work tonight? Does your pattern of consumption does it reveal biblical hope in you? How you're budgeting your money, how you're using the finances God has given you, does your planning reveal biblical hope? Are you planning for retirement because you want to spend those last few years just doing what you want to do? Or have you said, Jesus, use me? Oh, there are many good things you can do in retirement. I sat down with a man who loves camping and has a motor home. And I said, listen, consider MAPS RVs. You can travel around the nation helping with churches and schools and use your retirement that way. Go see a national park occasionally. He and his wife says, we've never thought about that. We didn't even know such a thing existed. Friends, include God in your planning for the future. Include God in your plans for right now. What do you want your future to be like? Does it reveal your hope in Jesus? I've always said, I've said it since I was a youth pastor. I say it even to this day. When I go out of here, I want to go out of here. I may be old and wrinkled, gray or bald-headed, I don't know. But I want to go out of here saying, Jesus, if you give me one more minute, I'd have punched the devil again. That's how I want to go out, feisty, faithfully feisty. How's that? And then the third thing, does the way you take care of your health reveal biblical hope? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. God lives in you. Does the way you take care of yourself, the way you eat, the way you exercise, the way you sleep and rest, does it reveal this hope? God gave you your body for a reason. Listen, the devil wants a body. That's the reason that Jesus says when a demon is cast out, He'll return with seven other spirits more wicked than him. Trying to get back into that person's life unless they're surrendered to Christ. And if not, they go around looking for someone. Your body is what gives you authority in Christ upon this planet. Because when this body of mine breathes its last, my pilgrimage on this planet will be over. Your pilgrimage, pastor? Yes, don't you remember? I'm a temporary resident. And so are you. We just read that. Amen? Our home and our hope is in heaven. Would you bring your notes tonight and your scriptures, and let's come and just kneel. In the-